This is Live at Five with Glenn Curry. <laughs> Army where you shoot them a mile away, you gotta get up close like this. Bada bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. <laughs> Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. <laughs> Learn it, know it, live it. Are you running a business or a charity war? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Uh, Yankees win! Pull over! No, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. Uh, 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 Whoa, way too loud. I get here a little late every now and then, and I have to adjust things. Jeff, it's basically at 3.30, 4 o'clock. I'm at, I'm at 10 o'clock. Yeah, I got a big mouth, and I talk right into the microphone. If you see me on my Facebook page, my feed, rather, someone made a comment yesterday that my hair looks whiter than ever. It's probably right. I'm turning into... Uh, the Phil Donahue, you know, in New York, uh, but is he still alive, by the way? Phil Donahue was the type of guy that looked old before he was. So a lot of people that have fit that mode, they're old before their time. He didn't look old, don't get me wrong, but he had the white hair, like by the time he was 40. But he had a full head of hair, I'm glad to say the same. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm here at the studio, and uh, we will be talking at sometime today with... With attorney Joe Stanley, he was unable to call in yesterday. So to the gentleman that's been asking me over the last couple of months, <coughs> excuse me, to, uh, um, there I go again. Dip, 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 dip. By the way, I don't have COVID. I found that out today. I do not have COVID. You know what I did? I'm getting my colonoscopy on Monday. And uh, so I can get that all behind me. That's Monday. That's going to be my third colonoscopy. And my last one was uh, uh, a long time ago, but not as long as my last confession. You know, when they ask you, like, uh, when you went to, con- when was your last confession? And you sit in an, you know, you, know you, you wait for the slide to come over. Uh, you know, like Richard Castellanos in, uh, in uh, A Lovers and Other Strangers. You know, his wife, played by B. Arthur, said, uh, the last time I had a confession was three days ago. And the priest says, well, you know, you don't have to come here all the time, B, whatever her name was. Oh, yes, but no, I feel real guilty. And it was uh, right before her son's, uh, I don't know how I got into this tirade, but her son was getting married, so she figured she'd have a confession. Uh, and then uh, uh, her husband, played by Richard Castellano, we, you and I know uh, uh, him as uh, Clemenza from, the God, from Godfather, he goes in there and says, uh, you know, when was the last time you were here? Says, uh, it's been some time. So he went over a couple of things that he thought he did wrong as, a, you know, as his confession, and then the priest, after maybe two, three items, lot, they were benign. It weren't, weren't, weren't like, you know, the use of the language or, or foul words or cheating on his wife or anything of that nature. Uh, then the priest said, is that it? And he goes, uh, yeah, that's it. He hadn't been in there for like over 30 years. Good stuff. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know how I got into this. But uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I have an article to talk about from uh, someone talked about uh, Governor Whitmer's, Whitmer's uh, alleged scheme to have her kidnapped in Michigan uh, last year. 
And Tucker Carlson, despite the fact that I missed out on the on Tucker Carlson the last couple of nights simply because I was doing something or I just literally fell asleep, I just decided, uh, you know, I got to do something on Tucker Carlson. Well, alas, I have someone that works right here in the building that uh, that told me about this unbelievable FBI story, and entrapment uh, times twenty, uh, and and I have that article. I'll share that with you. But in the meantime, we may be getting a call in very shortly. I might have just blown them off uh, for a second, only because I do go into a little bit of a tirade every now and then. But if if someone wants to call, look, I think I got the call here. Let's find out who it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Call, call, call. I do have another call before that, uh, and that's going to be Michelle and her husband, Robert, uh, who are very excited about the premiere tomorrow night uh, for the movie that I was I appeared in, uh, Brain, Brain Hunter. Uh, and that is going to be uh, in Pulaski at uh, at that, that what is it the Calais Theater, a renovated theater, beautiful beautiful place, uh, and they're calling in right now. So the premiere is tomorrow in Pulaski. Let's see, Michelle, you there? Sorry about that. I I, I missed you yeah, the first no time. Yeah, no worries. We're here. So, so Mich- how you doing, uh, guys? Are you excited? Now let me let me just go over this real quick because uh, you know last I'm going to say last February I discovered that I did pass the uh, the screen test. And then I became uh, a part of this wonderful project, uh, Brain Hunter 1987. And I, I, I tell you, you know, I'm excited about what you guys have been doing. You had some difficulties with the main actor, but you wind up getting John Fiore, uh, who also, by the way, appeared in uh, CODA, Best Picture of the Year. Uh, and uh, you worked hard on this, Rob. And, and here it is. The fruit of your efforts is tomorrow night at the Calais Theater in Pulaski. And uh, a lot of people, I'm assuming, are going to be showing up. So tell us, what should people be in store for tomorrow for the big premiere in Pulaski, guys? <laughs> well, definitely, definitely a step and repeat and a, and a red carpet, that, that's for sure. <laughs> a, a fun night of seeing creativity come together with, you know, many locals as well as, you know, of course, you know, John Fiore and, you know, Rob Kabowski, who came out, our special effects artist yes. from Arizona. Right. And, you know, our cinematographer and B-Cam, you know, there was a lot of people that traveled in as well as, you know, locals like yourself from Watertown right. and, and Ed Abadi. And then, you know, we have plenty of locals like David Gilmore and, you know, Stephanie Ward and Samuel DiBernardo and Kaylee Stevenson and, and many, many more. You know, I guess people just got to come out tomorrow to see. <laughs> I mean, this is not your first rodeo. You've done other productions. Uh, but have you, had yeah. a, have you had a premiere this big, though? This is pretty big. We've definitely had premieres before. Like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is just getting a lot of press. I right. think we're getting a lot of publicity, and I think it's catching a lot of people's eyes for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it makes the buildup a lot bigger. Sure, sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, we're definitely really excited for this premiere, and, um, you know, we think it's really going to go far, and we've had a lot of um, blessings, you know, with uh, – a lot of things just in this week alone, you know, being able to have our trailer up on Roku and um, yeah. Apple TV, Google Play, Apple, uh, Amazon Fire Stick. So sure. that's kind of, you know, like a big deal. And it is a big you know, deal. We, have new, we were on iHeartRadio out in, you know, New Jersey area and um, another yeah. radio out in Philly. And then we were on the news, um, you know, out in your area in Watertown sure. and, and 
she ended up putting it like in Las Vegas, Louisiana, and a bunch of other places. Well, it, that, and, and I know it's not your first premiere, but you're right. The publicity for this partially shot. I keep on seeing headlines. Partially shot in Watertown. Brain Hunter is about to premiere in uh, the Calais Theater in, in Pulaski. But you're also getting the same type of publicity in Syracuse because most of the rest of it, rather, was shot in the Cicero, Syracuse area. So you're getting two markets there. But I didn't know this about Las Vegas in Jersey. That's just added. Uh, that, that's putting. Uh, a sauce on top of the mustard. That's really good stuff, guys. I know. We're really, really excited, and, you know, we're just really hoping that's the build-up for, you know, distribution to be worldwide or international. So, you know, we're really, really excited of everybody on board and, you know, every everybody's excitement. So we just are hoping we're not going to let anybody down. Well, no, you're not, uh, for, for sure. And, you know, you know, people take it for granted when you get a trailer, for instance, on Roku or uh, Apple TV. That's that's a hard task, Rob. Explain how you guys put that together and, and uh, what, it, what it takes to, to get it that far. Well... No, she'll, she'll tell you on that one. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Michelle. Sorry. Um, you know, working in the industry for many years, you know, you know, you meet people and connections are everything. And, and this blessing just happened to be a, a connection that happened at the right time. And, um, you know, they just, you know, we, we worked with them on some press um, out there with some, with, with some musicians and whatnot. And yeah. they, they were more than willing to put us up. So, you know, we're very blessed with that. So we're really excited, and, you know, we're just thinking that's the start, and and who knows where, where we'll end up with distribution. You know, we do. We have been in the works and talks of distribution already, and um, last night we actually had someone with the Producers Guild of America actually reach out to us. Um, so, nice, nice. you know, that's like... Phenomenal. Well, again, like I just said, I mean, you know, oh, wow, it's a movie. That means it automatically goes to the local theater or it automatically makes it on Netflix and other platforms. But it's not that not, that's not the case. It takes a lot of hard work, plus a reputation uh, and, 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 uh, and then, of course, a, a little bit of luck here every now and then. So that last thing you just mentioned, Michelle, that sounds exciting, too. Explain how that's a big deal. Uh, how how uh, that and I'm sorry. Just uh, you, you mentioned the, the the company that you dealt with. How did that come to be? Well, I mean, you know, networking. My, my uh, CEO of my company um, lives in Atlantic City, and you know, she works with a lot of people out in that area. And Rob Schwartz is really big with Who Mag TV and Who Mag Distribution, sure. and. He does movies out there as well, but he's really large in the music world. But, sure. you know, it, it. she happened to know him, and we've been talking over the years about him working on, a, you know, possible things. And, mm -hmm. you know, she called me, told me, come on out and, awesome. and represent for Brain Hunter. And that's exactly what Kaylee and I did. We went and, you know, brought posters and stickers, yeah. and there was radio stations interviewing us, and just everybody... Nobody left there without knowing about Brain Hunter. Yeah, no, again, it's, it's me. Brain Hunter, 1987, uh, and I'm going to ask a little bit what the story is all about. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's made in Central New York, and, and you, both of you know that. Michelle, you worked alongside Pete Davidson, if I'm not mistaken, in a production Absolutely. or two down there. But you know, And so that's good. That's always good when, when, uh, when you see that, because Syracuse has become somewhat of a hub to, to, to a degree. But Brain Hunter is, is seemingly getting more uh, publicity than other movies. I saw you on Spectrum News, uh, on one 
one, at least one of the uh, TV stations down in Syracuse, if not all of them. Up here, obviously, the Watertown Daily Times. And now you just explain how you did it. So that's that in itself is awesome. So two things. Rob or Michelle, whichever yeah. one wants to take it, explain uh, what is Brain Hunter 1987. Rob's got that one. <laughs> it's basically a little, it's kind of a spinoff of the first movie yeah. I did in uh, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's like the, the Brain Hunter is just evolving and, and mutating and turning into something more menacing. Um, you know, and then you throw in a couple of kids and an 80s genre and... You got like yourself, you know. You got yourself a little slasher movie, right? And yeah. a, a slasher movie without uh, cell phones, because when it takes place back in the day, right. uh, you can't have uh, actors and actresses, for that matter, on the cell phone all the time, and, and which right. is a, which is a good thing. In my scene, uh, I'm at the Cicero uh, police station. And I'm talking to the lead actress, and ex- excuse me, her name escapes me at this time, but she was very lovely. We went over the scene prior to it, and she's done a lot of stu- stuff herself. Not to mention John Fiore, like I said, was in CODA, uh, played Gigi right. in The Sopranos. So how do you get all these good uh, p- performers uh, to show up in, in the middle of uh, central New York and northern New York to do all this stuff? Well, I mean, we, we the location was basically essentially everything so you know everybody was really on board already um obviously except for john fiore <laughs> yeah right but not that came but later yeah sure the location you know out here filming is different than in the big cities and it's more welcoming and it's just more of a community sure so it just it's that that that's how it happened. The locations just worked out so beautifully, and everybody came in. Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and, and at the Cicero uh, police station, I noticed that you put a couple of guys to work. I mean, people that were actually physically police officers, or the or the <laughs> captain of the. So you know that that's good. Not only did they give you the space to use uh, and make it look authentic, mind you, uh, but you actually you know put them in the movie. That helps, and I'm sure they they really enjoyed that as well. It looked like they did at least. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. The police chief was just, you know, gracious. He was phenomenal. His son wanted to dabble into acting, and we threw his son in the scene. And we actually, the police chief did, he was in the scene because he drove the Hummer. Um, Wow. So, you know, they they used their department Hummer that really doesn't get, you know, used for anything. So it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so now, Rob, it took you. Now, that yeah. I did my shoot back in the first week in March. Snow was still on the ground, and, uh, and I know you were planning on doing it in July, uh, but for the, all practical purposes, that's a, that's a quick turnaround to, to take a movie and all that footage from the various scenes and locations. Uh, you edited that pretty quickly. Uh, so, exp- you know, g- give us an idea how long it took to edit, and was it difficult with all the special effects and whatnot? Well, it took. Michelle, a long time to edit. Oh, God, I am getting everything wrong here. Michelle, have you... But, Rob, did you do anything in this movie? I know you directed it. No, I know you were the director yeah. there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, bring the money. That's what I did. There you go. That's awesome. Uh, but, but, okay, then, Michelle, I mean, okay, what, did you, uh, you spend long nights putting this together? Were you satisfied? Did you look at it and say, boy, we, we got to shoot that Glenn Curry scene because that sucked. No, it's good. I mean, you know, it was, yeah, you got to watch every day and, you know, getting up at 3 a.m. and maybe working till 10 p.m., you know, is something that definitely went into it, you know, for sure. I mean, there's definitely things that I saw that in the future I can make it even more efficient. Sure. Um, You know, and there's 
there's learning curves in every, you know, sure. thing that you do in life. And, sure. you, you know, you learn from your mistakes and that's why they're mistakes and you make them better. And, you know, nobody's perfect. No movie can be perfect. You know, I can watch television for multi-million dollar budgets and I can pick out oh, big all time. the mistakes. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Uh, reflections of cameras, a uh, shadow of, of a person right. standing lighting off. Lighting problems. Yeah, lighting problems. I, I, I see lighting issues on especially uh, network TV shows like the FBI and and uh, uh, the equalizer with Queen Latifah, it's, it's, an, it's like, what were they thinking when they put this show together? It looks like we're getting lazier when it they just everything seems so dark. And they says, well, that's the way p- kids these days like it. it. Says, no, when you get some, I mean, it's just too dark. And, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up because lighting and other issues, despite the fact that there's million dollar budgets in Hollywood, they still make mistakes. And even still, Steven Spielberg looks at his movies over time and says, geez, I wish I could have done that over again. So it's true. Oh, it's, it's very, very true i mean glenn every time we watch it i mean we're watching it today we have the screening tomorrow and believe me there's still a couple edits i'm going to be doing tonight just because every time we watch it i guarantee i could find something give me an example give me an example like something's too long or give me an example of something you might want to re-edit tonight um, for instance, there was like a jump cut or something. So, yeah. you know, the screen went black in between. And, and maybe it's not visible to everybody's eye, but right. it's visible to my eye sure. and Rob's eye and, you know, some other filmmakers' eyes. And, and being a perfectionist, that, that bothers me. Yeah, sure. um, there's obviously a lot of things that, you know, you can't fix, you know, without reshooting. And that was something that, you know, we obviously had to swallow and accept because, you know, like a $50,000 budget isn't a $250,000 budget or a million dollar budget. You know, there's always things that you're going to want to make it better. And, and, you know, again, like I said, there's, there's learning curves and with a smaller budget, you know, you have to kind of work with what you got. You can't expect, you know, the world with it, you know, so... Um, it's just growing, growing, and, and being better. Well, and, <laughs> exactly, and you get and of course, this is not your first rodeo. As I said earlier, you've done other productions and whatnot, but you get better and better every time. This one's definitely going to have a big appeal uh, because of the publicity, because of the the amount of people involved, just in the scenes that I I witnessed, and and up here in Watertown. Uh, this was definitely not your typical, you know, slasher movie. Hey, I made a slasher movie last week on my cell phone. This is considerably yeah. higher than that. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that, guys, only because. Because in the age uh, era of video, uh, in the last 30, 40 years, everyone and their brother became a, a production a specialist. But you got right. people all over the country, uh, for that matter, in other countries, uh, to uh, uh, to converge and, and put this all together. So now, and now, okay. So then tomorrow, obviously, it's going to be in Pulaski. But is it still too early to determine, guys, when people can see this either at the theater or on some type of uh, uh, a platform on their television set? Um, okay, so last time I opened my mouth, I ended up with a premiere in six months. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously the goal, the goal would be um, to have something for Halloween. Sure. Um, so, you know, the process of an online screener and, and having someone pick us up, um, it, it's, it's, it, it's pushing it, you know, for this year. Um, you know, obviously, definitely, definitely, it will definitely be out 2023, but our goal is definitely for Halloween this year, Mm -hmm. um, with some type of distribution for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and even if we are looking into other screenings as well, so, you know, 
we have people that were in Arizona, so who, who knows if we have an Arizona screening or a California or a Massachusetts screening. Um, Halloween's coming, so we are looking to pair up with, you know, drive-in theaters or sure. local theaters. So for sure, you know, this isn't going to be the the only um, well, screening. It, know, it, this it, is just the start. You know, I tell you, if, if you're interested, I do know the one. Actually, there's two drive-in theaters around here, and one we do Rocky Horror Picture Show at uh, in October. Oh. Uh, so that's right here in Black River, uh, outside Watertown. It's large, and uh, he's just very open to stuff like this, particularly local productions. I did something back back in 2015 called The Egan Murders, and uh, he played it there. So just keep that in mind uh, because, right. yeah, uh, because again, you always need someone on your side. He's got a digital uh, uh, projector. Uh, it would take a couple of hours to convert it, Rob. You know that process, or Michelle for that right, matter. Right. So that that's something to keep on the table. But this explains why when we hear movies... Uh, that were produced like in one year and it took two, three years later. There's a long process to get these movies distributed, guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a whole yeah. process. It, it, it is, but I will say that I have already started on it. So, you know, I do have friends in distribution. I do have friends, you know, there, there's a Syracuse company, SRS, that is very, very involved in horror, in B-movie horror, and um, he's just waiting on the screener. You know, I have another friend in California that's waiting and and you know I have other people that we've reached out for other movies mm-hmm. and um I just have the list it's just really getting a couple more edits through and and really saying okay we're ready for the world to see it and kind of going off of tomorrow and seeing the reactions of everybody what the, um you know yeah we did do some reshoots we did do a couple small reshoots and add-ins you know but Nothing too big. Uh, yeah. Now, let me ask you, did, did, did my scene make it, or is it on the editing floor? i got to ask. Oh, no, you're, oh, you you're made it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, based on the script that I got, I'm in the first ten minutes, if I'm not mistaken, guys. You are. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I, hopefully people won't leave after they see me. Like, oh, my God, I don't want to see this anymore. i got to get out of here. Glenn Curry was in this movie. It's awful. No. We hope you stay for the whole thing and enjoy. No, I know we will. Okay, so tomorrow night, what time does it start? When should people get there? Okay, so the doors open at 5.30, and then there will be a cash bar until 7. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a couple, like, jewelry vendors that are there, so if they want to shop or sure. if they want to eat popcorn and, and have a couple drinks, take pictures on the red carpet, the showing will start exactly at 7 p.m., and then from there we'll have a Q&A with, obviously, our cast, yourself sure. as yeah. well, awesome. and crew. Yeah. And then we'll have some more cash bar, and we'll say our goodbyes, and and that's our night. Awesome. So. Guys, thank you very much. i got to take a call from a, yet another person from Central New York, and that's Attorney Joe Stanley. And I'll ask okay. him about okay. the li- I'll ask him about the liability insurance of a brain hunter coming into the house. What should one look <laughs> okay. for? You're, you're just invite Joe Stanley. I will. Come on out. I, I, I most certainly will. And guys, thank you very much. Good luck, and I'll see thank you guys you, tomorrow in Plasky. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, you Michelle. Tomorrow. Thanks, Bye. Rob. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That's uh, Rob and Michelle for Brain Hunter, and we have Attorney Joe Stanley on the phone. Joe, how you doing? I'm good, Glenn. How are you today? Good, good. I was just talking to someone else from Central New York. I'm in a movie, believe it or not. It's a it's a, a slasher movie. It's called Brain Hunter, 1987, New Breed, 
and uh, I played uh, the, 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 of all things, Joe, the director of the FBI, and we shot it in the Cicero Police Department back in March, and the premiere is at the Calais Theater, and I know you're familiar with that, in Pulaski tomorrow. So I just did the interview with the husband and wife trio, uh, duo, excuse me, uh, who produced it, and they're excited about it. Uh, so that, that, that's why I was the delay in getting your phone call today. Uh, but, Joe, first of all, you're invited to see that movie if you want, Joe, if you're into it uh, tomorrow night, if you're in Pulaski. I don't know if your availability uh, permits that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, I would love to see you as the director of the episode. I went to, I saw it, and I made the final cut. I, I was not cut. I have a, My scene's about a, a minute long, and it's like, like one of the first scenes, so I can't wait to see it. And at the same time, I hopefully, hopefully I won't be depressed. Uh, Joe, for weeks I've had a caller ask me to ask you and I, I, for whichever reason, something got in the way. Uh, this guy, he's a retired person on a fixed income. A, Joe, a question for Joe from a listener. He's got a hospital bill. Can the hospital force them to make a monthly payment uh, 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 that they're not comfortable with? Or can that person just pay the hospital what he can afford? So, in other words, this guy has a big hospital bill on a fixed income. The hospital says you've got to pay this or else. What, what happens in a situation like that, Joe? Well, uh, I, you know, the hospital has remedies. Uh, they can sue you and take a judgment against you and then collect from your assets. Uh, the question is, you know, how much is there available? Because if you're on a fixed income, oh, there's only so much that can be taken. Um, and I'm not even sure if Social Security is even permissible to um, to even uh, execute on, because that's not something I do for a living. So... He, you know, he can negotiate from that perspective. Uh, you know, if you don't pay the bills, it it certainly doesn't help your credit. Sure. Um, but whether they can actually collect on a judgment or will even go forward with a judgment, uh, who knows? Um, but yeah, he, you know, he's not obligated to pay anything. They have the legal right to sue him and take a judgment and then go from there. Right. Um, but could they could they could they take money? I mean, like the IRS is always saying, we could take money right out of your account if necessary. Can a hospital or any institution do that, Joe? Well, they, if you get a judgment against someone, you can execute on their assets, but it's limited. There's restrictions, and I'm not sure, as I said, as I sit here, whether if his only income is Social Security, right. whether they can take any of that. Now, if he owns something else, if he owns property, it becomes a lien on the property he owns. Uh, so if he owns a house, they enter a judgment, and, and then if they file it properly, it becomes a lien on the property when he dies or he tries to sell it. Right. Um, you know, if he has bank accounts, you know, um, <clears throat> theoretically they could take, execute on some or all the bank accounts depending on how much and what they are. Sure. So, you know, that's true of any judgment. You know, there are rules on how to do it and what you can execute on, and... Um, that's that's the that is their remedy if they decide to choose it. It's expensive, and if he doesn't have any assets and there's nothing to collect, then um, it may not go forward. And, and he always also has an option of bankruptcy, although I'm not sure um, if that's the right thing in this circumstances. I would really, if he's concerned and it's a big enough debt, I would talk to a lawyer who does that debt collection kind of work to give him the best route to go, which which may be do nothing. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Because bankruptcy, especially for a retired person, is probably it's a bad option for anyone, Joe, like you just said. 
But for someone on a fixed income uh, older than, say, 65, 70 years old, that is a bad uh, option for, for, for that age group. My guess is, at least. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, if he's listening right now, I'm sure he is, uh, he will consult with an attorney. Now, Joe, on a personal level, uh, I've been talking about this in recent days. I mentioned it yesterday. I don't know. Every now and then I notice driving habits. Crazy things happen when you're on the road, even when I'm on the same street and pattern like I'm on every day. I'm like a, um, I'm like a mouse in a mousetrap. I do the same thing every day pretty much. And I notice in recent months, certainly in the last six, seven months, that cars coming in the opposite direction, Joe, are crossing the invisible line. You know, if you're in the street... Uh, often when you're in a side street or whatnot, there are no lines like we see on Route 11 or 12, whichever. And I notice people are just, and it doesn't really matter where. A lot of times it could be on a road with, with lines on it. Is, is there something to be said about people that don't know what side of the lane they're on? Or is this a function of, of just new drivers that just don't seem to know what side of the lane they should be in? Well, I think it's just a function of not paying attention. Hopefully, if you don't know what side of the road you're supposed to stay on and right. drive on, Glenn, you shouldn't have a driver's license because that's that's a bad uh, a bad plan. I what you know, I think what that is is that people are not paying attention, um, and some people don't know how to drive. And you know, they're scared of the parked cars on the right, and they're sure. scared of the cars coming from other ways, and you know, they're weaving in and out of you know out of, over those the center line. Yeah, but. <clears throat> Yeah, but generally, the people you're seeing that just are always wandering or staying in the middle of the road, it's probably because they're just not paying attention. It, it's so true, and cars are so easy to drive and that the slightest movement of your, of your steering wheel will put you off course. In the old days, you had to move, you know, uh, I, even with rack and pinion steering, you had to move your steering wheel like a quarter of a turn to get anywhere. Now you just sneeze and your car's in the other lane. And I also noticed, Joe... You know, around Watertown, and, and I've no, I knew this right from the get-go because I got my first ticket almost like in the first day I was here. Typical New Yorker driving like a maniac. And I, I don't go over 35 miles an hour. And I notice a lot of people just like to stay right behind you, right on your butt, if you know what I'm saying. And other times when you have to make a left and a right turn, it's like you get people upset, Joe. <laughs> you know, like eventually we got to get off this road and get into either our driveway or make a right-hand turn to go this, there, and anywhere. People seem to be so, so uptight, and they just want you out of the way. Is that just aggressive driving? Is that COVID era, uh, post-COVID era thought pattern, whichever? Why is it people are becoming, in my opinion at least, reckless and more aggressive these days, Joe? Yeah, well, I think that's just a part of the, you know, people have become, have, have lost their manners, and, and maybe it is part of COVID and uh, part of what's going on in the country is that, you know, I guess if people see people behaving badly all the time, they think they can behave badly all the time. Good and point. So, Good point. Uh, uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's a sad commentary on our country if that's uh, the situation that we're in. It, it really is. And I got to say, I mean, uh, when I was younger, I did have a bad temperament. I never got out of my car. My dad would, would do that. He was crazy. As a, as a police officer, I, I still don't know how he made it, uh, but because he just would get angry, get out of the cars. He slapped somebody one time. It was just awful. Uh, but I kind of took that anger, and I, and I extinguished it in recent, you know, in the last 10 years or so. But I could see how, you know, people can get upset, and I can see how I could get, you know, infuriated with something. The other day, some guy pulled around Palmer Street here, 
and he, he drove his car as if he was driving an 18-wheeler, Joe, where, in other words, he comes into my lane, crosses over so he can swing into a parking lot, almost assuming that I knew what he was going to do. Joe, he's driving a Subaru. He's not driving an 18-wheeler. Cars today, like I said, ha- can pivot like on a dime, and yet people, ins- I guess people have this notion like, oh, you know what I'm doing. I'm making a right-hand turn into a liquor store, or you know what I'm doing. I'm making a K-turn, so therefore I'm going to pull into a driveway and then back up and still keep you from driving on. I- there's this assumption made that people think they- you should know what they're doing, Joe. Am I wrong on that? Well, maybe. I, I, I mean, I know what you're talking about, and I'm never quite sure. I think, again, people, I think, are just oblivious to the rest of the world. They think they're, they're, you know, they're the only ones on the road, and that's part of the not paying attention to driving. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and at the same time, of course, you and I have always talked about distracted driving, but in many cases, I, I notice if they're, if they're distracted or if they're talking to someone, and in, my, in many cases, when they cross the line, they're just driving by themselves. So it was one of those things I, I said, you know what? This is a Glenn Curry observation, and I'm going to bring it to Joe uh, Stanley's attention, and I'm glad I did. Joe, when people need to get in contact with yourself or anyone if, uh, from your office here in Watertown or Syracuse, how can one do that, Joe? Sure, StanleyLawOffices.com is the website. My email is joe at StanleyLawOffices.com, and the phone number is 1-800-608-3333. Great, and maybe I'll see you in Pulaski tomorrow night for the premiere of Brain Hunter, Joe. Thank you, Inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Director. Thank you, FBI. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Attorney Joe Stanley here on the Live at Five show. Got to do a break. Uh, We haven't done one in a while. We'll be back after this. Roof looking older than call you back. And at the outset, I, I mentioned something about missing Tucker Carlson in recent days. Uh, but I, I do have a Tucker Carlson fan right here in the building. That said, did you see Tucker Carlson in the story about uh, the alleged alleged uh, uh, kidnapping of Governor Whitmer out of Michigan? And, you know, I heard about this uh, about a couple months ago when the, uh, I guess, they were supposed to have a trial and then they didn't have enough evidence but I tell you, with all the stuff that's going on, uh, not just recently, and not just because of January 6th, but when you watch Tucker, sometimes it's like, you know, you, you got to check yourself, whatever, whatever you're into. You know, again, if, if you've noticed, I haven't talked about The View in a while, I'm not watching The View. So, uh, and I, sometimes you got to walk away from things. And I even ask myself, should, should, am I, should I pay attention to this? You know, Danny Francis says I shouldn't watch Fox News as much. Should I take his advice? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to take his advice. Because it is essentially the only truth factor out there. By the way, uh, what's his face? They call him Humpty Dumpty. I don't like saying that. But uh, he's the guy that took over for, uh, oh, geez, I'm just, I'm all over the place today. Excuse me. But the bald-headed guy in CNN was fired. Reliable Sources was the show he had every Sunday at 11 o'clock. And his show was canceled. When I went up and down my Facebook uh, timeline today, I must have saw some type of link from some po- from some group and or individual at least, and I kid you not, at least 15, maybe 20 times. And when a story like that happens, when a show gets canceled, like a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that Samantha B's show was canceled. Uh, Samantha B, not as noted as this guy, and I can't remember his name, but nonetheless, he's a, he's a pundit for CNN. He's always you know, basically saying nothing to see here. Uh, no, there's no white replacement plan, and how can you Trumpers think that? Well, he finally got the axe. Uh, he, he, was, he was performing poorly. Even on CNN, he was getting less than 300,000 people uh, per, per year. You know what? I looked out into the, stu- into the office, and I see a guy in, in uh, sunglasses, and I swear to God it was Joe Biden. 
but no, it's Jim Levin. Anyway, Jim Levin wearing his uh, his uh, aviator glasses. I thought Joe Biden was in the building. So uh, anyway, uh, he's gone. So uh, all these things are, you know, slowly but surely when you lose a guy like Donald Trump to berate and, and chastise every time uh, you get on a microphone or in front of the camera on cable news, uh, when he's president, that, that a lot of people will, will watch you. When he's not president, there's no reason to watch you anymore. People are sick and tired of it. And here's yet another reason why. I won't get into this whole article. It goes on ad nauseum. It's a long, long article. But in short, Tucker Carlson further exposes FBI's bogus Governor Whitmer, uh, Whitmer kidnapping plot. And when you first heard it, it was all over the place. Right here on CBS News, it might have uh, came on before and after my show. I'm going to say over a year ago when it was first exposed, maybe probably almost two years ago, when there were these allegations of you know some crazed guys or hunters uh, up in Michigan that had this crazy plot uh, to kidnap Governor Whitmer because they didn't like her politics. They didn't like the fact that they were that she was shutting down Michigan during COVID, that she wanted to confiscate your guns, and that she wasn't the person they wanted there to represent the wonderful uh, state of Michigan. So that's the first thing that came to mind. Like, uh oh, they got some bad boys that you know said one too many things. Maybe went to some hunting camp. It was completely, completely bogus. Uh, and they go on and on and on how these guys from the FBI essentially forced these some type of conspiracy to either at first shoot at uh, the governor, damage her home, and and the one guy who was living off cat food essentially in his own house didn't have enough money to take a shower. He would have to brush his teeth at a local Mexican restaurant. Uh, they kept coming back at him thinking, oh, this guy was desperate. He, he represents the, the Trumpers. He knew, they knew rather, based, from their, uh, based on their social media, that they were truly, uh, they weren't fans of Governor Whitmer. But when you see a story like, oh, conspiracy to, to, uh, to kidnap a governor, any governor, you would think that this is something that uh, someone tipped them and said, hey, you know, there's a bunch of guys that are hanging out at the bingo hall, the pool hall, and I overheard one of them talking about it. And then th- at that point, you would expect your FBI to investigate and say, oh, okay, let's look into it. This seems like a good lead. And then one thing led to another. The whole thing was persuade- was, was just to the point where the, guy, uh, the, the two guys in question uh, that were allegedly looking to kidnap Whitmer based on the reports we heard, and everyone, including you know, uh, Stephen Colbert, jumped on it. Ah, you see? All you white people are crazy. All of it was made up. All, every bit of it, every part of it, they tried to, pers- right, tried to rather, persuade these people, uh, and they just kept on backing off. And yet they kept they kept it up. So what you might expect to be an investigation for, based on leads and real data, these guys, and one of which was operating his own company as an FBI agent illegally, he just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until he actually got an arrest. And, of course, the rest, as you know, is history. They, they should make a movie about this. These guys' reputations are gone, just like so many other people associated with Donald Trump, so many people associated with January 6th. Uh, and yes, you know, we could say honestly that, you know, maybe some people made some dumb moves, but nothing in comparison to the to to how they're portrayed in the media. 
And this is yet just another example of it. So Tucker was talking about that, if not last night, the night before. And I wanted to share that with you. That is the reason why I watch Tucker Carlson. Yes, there's some things he talks about that seem a little bit out there, literally. He's talking about uh, uh, alien abductions now, which I'm very intrigued with. Uh, there's also another beautiful, gorgeous, blonde bombshell. I forget her name. She's like seven feet tall. She's new to Fox. She's doing her own uh, alienation thing, too, on Fox. So check that out. I'm always fascinated with that because with the, the growth of technology, technology and uh, smartphones in the last 20 years, more and more imagery and video of crazy things are, ha- are, are seen out there. Uh, and, uh, and again, you always heard of reports of, of fighter pilots in World War II seeing some crazy stuff. Uh, I truly think that uh, there, is, there, there are people out there. I think they're looking out for us. And I think, if anything, there's probably a lot of suspicious things floating around Earth these days because how imminent we are uh, to, a na- uh, to a terrible, terrible catastrophe uh, and, uh, incited, of course, by war between either Russia or, of course, worse yet, uh, China and that imminent uh, invasion of, of Taiwan. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there waiting for me. Higher in the air. Hey, Glenn. How are you today? What's happening, sir? Hey, Steve Wood. Steve, what's happening? Oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the subject on you a little bit by, and by promote means. an event that's coming up Monday night. Sure. Uh, I'm in a band. It's called the Arrhythmias. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them, but we're a local uh, big band. Mm-hmm. Uh, saxophones, trumpets, trombones, all that good stuff. Nice. And we are, we are playing Monday night at Thompson Park at 6 o'clock. And we're going to be up at the old bandstand, which if you're not familiar with that, that's up by the tower and the playground. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to put on an hour-and-a-half concert, and it's uh, a free event. It's just all we ask is you bring uh, your love of big band music and a, a chair to sit in, and you can enjoy the, the concert. So that's Monday night? Monday night, the 22nd. We're going to start at 6, and we'll, we'll play about an hour 15, hour and a half. Yeah. That's a pretty good set list. Yeah, let me, let me ask you, though, why Monday? I mean, I, I love this, I, and I, I, this is awesome. But I'm just curious yep. why you chose Monday night. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if the band chose Monday or if Thompson Park chose Monday, but uh, mm-hmm. that's also our, our normal uh, rehearsal night. So instead of a rehearsal, we're doing a, an event up there. But uh, the, the the friends of Thompson Park, uh, I know that they, they're involved in this part of it, and uh, they're trying to get some local talent up there. They're, we're trying to obviously get some events up there. Sure. Uh, a lot of people say there's not a lot to do, but... Here's an event that I'm going to promote, and it's something to do on a Monday night. It's weather permitting right now. The weather looks decent, so like I say, it's all outside. What What do you, Steve? What do you play? What are you in the band? I'm in. The, I play tenor saxophone, so I'm in the saxophone section. We have uh, five saxophones, right. uh, four trumpets, four trombones. Wow. Uh, yeah, rhythm section. So. Do you have a singer? And it's, it, uh, we We used to. Ha- well, we do have singers. Uh, we do, our set list right now is more geared towards uh like theme songs like you know we, we play some count basie and some major ferguson right uh, glenn miller yeah uh we've got actually a couple of lawrence welk tunes so wow uh, this is all all instrumental at this point uh our last song we do have a singer uh but uh in, in the past we've we've had some singers but yeah this is all so you know that big band uh, dance type music. Yeah, I love it. I, and in the mood, Glenn Miller. Uh, I hum it oh, all yeah. the time. I, and again, it's it's if you can't start beating to that groove with your foot or your yeah. fingers, yeah. then you're dead. You're absolutely yeah. dead. Yeah, and, you got to tap your toes on a couple of those. You, you really do. And here's the thing. 
I often I, I said this before, and I'm glad I'm doing a little work for the Italian Americans. Italian Americans, I'm doing uh, work for the Bravo Fest, and I just did a commercial with Jim Scordo. I was always discouraged to see in in, in the, pre- the final years of the Frank Sachi band that Frank Sachi was not for some reason at the Bravo Fest. Now again, I don't know what happened there. But, you know, because of that, we just stopped seeing big bands up here. So, you know, you, yeah. are you, have you essentially replaced the Frank Sachi band up here, Steve? Oh, no. Frank, the Frank Sachi band is still in. Oh, okay. In, in play. They actually open every year in Sackett Harbor for their concert series. Okay. Uh, they, I know that they played up in Morristown just a few weeks ago. We actually have some members that are in, in our band are in the Frank Sachi gotcha. band. So, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, you know, they we, we don't compete with them, but... Uh, as far as the Italian American Fest, I mean, that, if whoever heads that could get with whoever heads the Frank Sachi band, yeah, uh, you know, even though he's passed, and, yeah, but right. his his band is still in, you know, it's they're still going. Uh, it's led by a different conductor now, but uh, you know that would that obviously that's a good fit for them. Oh my God, it's, it, you can't get down, any down there. Well, yeah, sure. Plus, if you get a male yeah. or female singer or a duet. Uh, that, it, that brings a tear to everyone's eye. You don't have to be Italian either. So uh, I'll put in a good right. word there. Steve, t- yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, so Monday night, it's free up there at the park. Uh, name the band again. What's the, what's the name of the band again? It's, it, yeah, so the, the band is called the Arrhythmias, and the history on that is in 1977. That was formed by a bunch of doctors here in Watertown. So that's, they, they use that, that terminology of Arrhythmias for their band. Is that what is that what we see with the heartbeat? Is that what that thing is? When yep, okay, yep. that's what I figured. That's the number. That's the number. I thought so, it was a spinoff so, of the Rhythmics, of uh, the man of uh, uh, the male and female uh, the duet in the yeah 80s. they they yeah they started with an E and we start with an A. So gotcha. it's the Rhythmias, and it's a local uh, band. Uh, we have all kinds of people, you know, teachers, doctors, retired uh, nurses. We've got we've got all kinds. And uh, we enjoy music, and we enjoy playing it for people. So Monday night, 6 o'clock, uh, bring a chair. We're right up to the top of the hill by awesome. the monument and the old bandstand. That sounds great. Steve, thanks for the call. And uh, whenever there's another event, uh, feel free to give us a shout. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Glenn. Anytime, Steve. Uh, Steve Wood here. Uh, the Arrhythmias on Monday night at the park, 6, 7 o'clock. Got to do a break. We'll be back. Well, I tell you, I, I just got a, uh, a message from somebody. And there's t- two guys, one of which I know is my brother-in-law, Dale, and another dude, and actually my, both my brother-in-laws are at our lake place cleaning the house of all the bugs that have accumulated in the last four or five months with a power washer. Thank you very much, guys. Very kind of you. Uh, hi, you're in the air. Hey, how's it going? It's SG. Yeah, I think Caveman, Caveman's in that band, too, I think. Caveman's in that band? I think so, yeah. Oh, another re- oh, good reason why I'm not going up on uh, Monday night at 7 o'clock. No, That's fine. Ah! Oh, my, 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 my aunt in World War II was the Army USO band that traveled with Bob Hope and stuff. Right. And, like, when she... Did he pinch her ass? Uh, yeah. at, at the end of life in Alzheimer's, uh, she was almost, co- you know, non-responsive. And we put on bad, big band music, and her toe right. just started tapping. You know, I, I, it's interesting you should say that because they say, and I've seen video of this before, it doesn't surprise me, when, when, like, you, like your aunt probably was so accustomed to things like that when she was younger, then <clears throat> despite the fact that their cognitive skills are shortened, they will remember how to pick up a guitar or to sing along to an old song. So that's great to hear yep. that. <clears throat> Especially yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just automatically get up out of your seat and start tapping to it. And, and young kids oh, yeah, can't yeah. appreciate that because the rat. Look, SG, we disagree on practically everything politically, but 
you know, as, you know, when it comes to music and culture and what you know, there's a lot of things we, we share. We disagree a lot on music too, man. Well, maybe so. But no, no. Well, I, I, how about this? Would you say that today's music is as uh, 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 at the level of what you and I grew up with in, in terms of musical talent? And please don't delay the answer because I think your answer is like there's, there's, you know, there's, every generation has their own way of doing talent. things. It's just yeah. whether you, you might not like the style, but there's, there's talent. So when I see, yeah. uh, tra- not to labor on this, but when I saw the video of the guy that had the tramp, uh, when people started trampling over each other in Houston a year ago, what was his name? Terrence Scott. I forget his name. Travis Scott. Uh, I just right. like, I said, I, SG, that's not music. That's not music. That's not big no, band you music. Watch that? The one on the Woodstock uh, 99 uh, Netflix show? That no, I heard it was on. good. No, I, I want to see that. Oh, it's great, man. It, it just it shows you the progression of why it went totally awry. Well, I did it. Just in it, sum, summarize real quick. Why did it go awry there in Rome in 1999? Well, basically, they were they were getting crazy prices for food, water. Yeah. They couldn't bring anything in, so they were soaking these kids for money. And then they, they, it was hot, and you know that, then the bands they had were... <laughs> Bands that like Rage Against the Machine. Right. They, 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 well, they had Red Hot Chili Peppers though. No, they had some good bands yeah. though. Yeah. Well, Flea was totally naked. <laughs> the Did you go to that, by the way? No, no, no. Because you go to all those concerts. I had a ticket for '94, but I didn't go because I had my kids that weekend. Yeah, I remember '94 because my parents lived near there at the time, and I remember it rained like the dickens. And I, I got stuck yeah, in it. A... I still got the ticket. I, I, my friends said, "If you can go, here's the ticket." Yeah, so that's what I heard. I heard they were they were fleecing all the patrons there. Eight dollar bottle of water, 1999. And it kept going. It kept going up. It was like twelve dollars a bottle by the end. They would, and they just had, and there was a toxic. Men- uh, male masculinity, that like the college kid masculinity. Right, right, yeah, because we don't like getting show, ripped off. So we we, we stand up for ourselves. That, but yeah, what? What? It's a three part. It's forty five minutes. All right, I'll see it. I got to get going though, because you always call up at the very. All right, that's uh, SG. This was the live at five show, and thanks to Rob and uh, Michelle uh, uh, for for tomorrow's thing. AM twelve forty WT and Watertown that makes us legal. Up next, CBS News. This is CBS News on the hour, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. I'm Monica Ricks in New York. Despite warnings from the Justice Department, a federal judge has ordered a redacted version of the affidavit on the FBI's Mar-a-Lago search that's expected to be released to the public. CBS's Scott McFarlane is in Washington with details. The federal judge in Florida has given the Justice Department one week to recommend what it wants to redact from this affidavit. This paperwork it submitted to do something never done before, to search the property of a former U.S. 